Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thanks for joining us as we continue our mini-series on marriage preparation. And what I'd like to do today is pick up where we left off in our last episode, and we were talking about pro-life marriage preparation, since life is one of the goals of marriage, and we're going to be talking about that, and we need to figure out ways to encourage a pro-life view of marriage. In other words, having children. And there are two statistics that really caught my attention that prompted this whole series. First, as I mentioned earlier on in the series, that there's been a 75% plunge in the number of Catholic weddings over the past half century, even though the Catholic population has increased. And that's very serious. And then the second one, according to the Atlantic Magazine, a third or more of Americans younger than 45 either don't want children or expect to have fewer children than they otherwise would during to worries about climate change. And I tried to address some of the ways to positively address the fears about climate change, to be environmentally responsible, but not to be an environmental alarmist to the point that young couples entering marriage don't want children. So I'd like to give you a national example of a humble country, a country that's been beaten down, uh, persecuted, and yet seems to be rising from the ashes as a way of a example for the United States. And I'm talking about the country of Hungary. Hungary has something very unique. You know, we have Secretary of State here and Secretary of Defense and this and this and that. Well, overseas, they very often call their secretaries or heads of various government departments ministers. And in Hungary, they have a minister for families. Her name is Catalin Novak, and she is a faithful Catholic, pro-life, pro-family, and helping Hungary to develop a Christian, pro-Hungary, everything positive for families in the country of Hungary. Now, she says that Europe is renouncing its Christian culture and simultaneously is slowing its population growth. In fact, it's committing suicide. And she says where people don't want children or don't believe it's worthwhile to reproduce, that country or that culture is condemned to death. So she and uh, the prime minister have come up with a seven-point package to assist young families meeting the challenges of having a family, including a larger family in today's world. Listen to this package. First of all, married couples in which the wife is under 40 years old will be eligible for an interest-free general purpose loan of 31,000 euros, and the repayment can be suspended or at least significantly reduced or written off entirely 
if the couple goes on to have children. Pretty neat. Uh, this is one that I would have appreciated having uh, eight kids myself and having to buy a 15-passenger van. Families raising at least three children will be eligible for a grant of 7,800 euro to buy a new car seating at least seven people. That is a problem if you have a large family. Uh, there's a baby crib provision in their 2022 legislation, and they're providing an opportunity for families to reduce their mortgages upon the birth of a second child. And if, let me see, if you have a family with four, a married couple having a family with four or more children, the wife doesn't have to pay taxes for the remainder of her lifetime, and that is being reduced to having three or more children. And what's the result of this? Now, I have to be kind of honest. I don't try to push my personal political views at least too much on the radio. I'm sharing the faith. But my personal view is that the government shouldn't be doing a lot of the things it's currently doing, financing all kinds of things that don't have any legislative or constitutional authority to do so. But having said that, since I'm a, I guess you would call a, a government, federal government minimalist, what is the result of Hungary's seven-point plan? Here it is. The abortion rate between 2010 and 2018, only eight years, dropped by 33.5%. Dropped by a third. Now, remember how the press always unfairly characterizes us pro-lifers as just anti-abortion advocates, and we really don't want to fall into that trap alone. Yes, we need to oppose what is wrong, abortion, but we need to be for what is good, pro-life. And here, the abortion rate dropping by a third as a result of these simple plans to assist young families to get on their feet. Now, Remember, I started this broadcast, and I've mentioned it multiple times because it really got to me, the 75% plunge in Catholic weddings over the past half century? Well, the marriage rate increased by, are you ready for this? 43% in the same eight-year period. What about divorce? I've had a whole series in this broadcast about you know, trying to overcome divorce divorce decreased in Hungary by 22.5%. The abortion rate dropped by a third, marriage increases by 43%, and divorce decreased by 22%. Now, if I was president of the United States, and I'll never be president of the United States, but if I were, I would send the biggest, fastest, most luxurious jet to Hungary and fly Minister Catalin Novak to the United States and have her speak to Congress, meet with senators, meet with the various departments, and try to implement a seven-point plan here because it would be the best pro-faith, pro-family, pro-life thing you could ever have. And by the way, um, 
Hungary also passed a constitutional amendment. It's sad that you have to do so, but they, they just did, confirming that a father is a man and a mother is a woman. And they're trying to preserve their traditional Christian culture in Hungary. They see this as a way to promote their nationalism. And so I'm just showing how uh, maybe a little bit bigger vision of not just our pre-Cana classes, but our whole country could become more pro-life and pro-family. And, you know, just by way of history, I, I just did a little checking this week. You know, when the federal income tax was initially passed, I think it was back in 1913, they had no intention of young families paying any tax any income tax whatsoever. Um, the let's see, the rate in today's dollars it would have been you would pay absolutely no federal income tax for a married couple up to earning about sixty thousand dollars. And you say, well, what about after that? You would pay one percent. You didn't misunderstand me. One percent. That was it. It was a big deal to passing the income tax to tax the rich. Of course. That was the bait, and now young families who are hardworking, trying to raise children, are really breaking their backs to finance federal programs, and rather than do that, if you're going to spend money that's not in the Constitution, well, I think Hungary is not a bad example, so leave that as it may. You know, last week, the Wall Street Journal had a front-page article that it now costs 300 thousands to raise a child. And of course, that's gonna freak everybody out, gonna freak young couples out. Uh, everybody's already strapped trying to afford to put gas in your car and go to the market and not be shocked by what uh, a shopping cart full of food costs. And now the Wall Street Journal is saying 300000 to raise a child. Well, I can remember when this was still high, you know, like 200000 or 250000 And, it, you know, there are a number of ways to reduce that cost if you're smart. There's some things you're going to have to forego. Like when I had eight kids, I couldn't afford NFL tickets. It's just, just impossible. Um, you can't afford to have consumer debt if you have a large family with the costs in today's world. You avoid debt, you have money that doesn't go out the door while you sleep, which was one of the secrets to a family budget. But in any case, here's something, and, and don't get me wrong, <laughs> this is with a little bit of trepidation. I'm recommending some of the comments by Elon Musk. Now, I realize that he isn't the paradigm of uh, a Christian father and husband through some of his uh, antics and stuff, but he does have a widespread popular following and either the richest man or one of the richest men in the world. And it's very interesting. He's a smart guy. I'll give him that. He's, he's a, definitely a smart guy. And he believes that the biggest threat facing the world is a flatlining of the birth rate. And he claims that overpopulation is a myth. And he told the Wall Street Journal, quote, population collapse is potentially the greatest risk to the future of civilization, unquote. Now, reason I mention Elon Musk is because 
you're going to have uh, young couples come into a marriage class and maybe having somebody that they look up to in popular culture affirming the idea and the goodness of bringing children into the world. We need to do everything we can. I'm trying to throw out some ideas today that maybe aren't being practiced regularly, but we do need to create a pro-life culture. Here's three more things you can do in a marriage preparation class to create a pro-life view for young couples. And I'd like to start with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 1601. And it says this, the marital covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. Now, to intentionally reject and not want children, at least from the beginning, uh, you don't even have a valid Catholic marriage, by the way, but for your own good, you, you know, when you're sharing with people a, a moral truth, you be right up front. That's why I started with the catechism. But you also want to show them that by following the truths of our faith is for their good and that you want to align your married life as well as your personal life as much as you can with the patterns that God has set out there. I, I have called, in fact, I think I got this from another author, like the Ten Commandments. Some people, oh, they're so harsh. You know, no, they're, they're like um, those guideposts you have in the winter, like you're driving up in a mountain pass and there's snow everywhere and you're not exactly sure where the road begins and ends. And it's, they're like safety markers to keep you on the path you want to be on so that you can successfully arrive at your destination. Same with marriage. If it's by its nature order to this, um, you know, your car will break if you use it in such a way it wasn't designed to be used. A hinge will break if you put more weight on it than it was designed. And if you intentionally reject children, well, then you're going against a design for your own marriage. So I just put that out there and starting with the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Now, here's a second one that I don't know if it's being done. If, if it is being done, drop me a note at askthehost at gmail.com. But I think it would be very helpful to have testimonies from young parents and grandparents in a pre-Cana class. Because remember, we're not living in the 1980s now. We're, we're seeing that 33% plunge in the number of young families, young couples, I should say, not wanting children. So how do you create it on a positive viewpoint? Get a couple starting out that have a child and have a couple that has raised children, the grandparents, and have them both testify to the fulfillment in life they get from that. Now, I'm thinking back to my seminary days. Uh, Karen and I were fairly newly married. And by the way, if you're a new listener, I was an evangelical 
uh, pastor, and I went to an evangelical seminary, and an evangelical seminary had married students. So we were newly married, and I had a friend named Steve, like me, and we went to their little apartment, and they had a little girl, the cutest thing in the world, by the name of Stephanie. And she could only say two words, daddy and cookie. And like, if you were holding in your hand the last chocolate chip cookie on earth, when this little girl would say, cookie, uh, you couldn't help but give her the last cookie on earth. Uh, she was absolutely darling. And uh, yeah, I remember Karen and I went home. <laughs> Boy, I'd really like to have a little, little child like that. It was just a positive encouragement. And when a young couple comes in, don't make it phony. Go ahead and, and make it real. And by real, I mean, mention that this involves sacrifice. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. But aren't the best things in life uh, where you really get a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment come when you really give of yourself one way or another and sacrifice? So you don't want to overlook that and then have the young couple mention the reward, even as a young couple. And I need to mention this because what are most young people, say, coming up to marriage age hearing? And this is a step on toes here. It's quite intentional. To those Catholics who want a pro-life, pro-family America, quit venting on social media about your kids. You can say it's difficult. You can be real. But what happens with social media and email and now text and Instagram and everything else, you get angry or frustrated. How do you take out your frustrations? You get on social media and Everybody goes through those times. It's not all of your life. I mean, if you went and took the dog for a walk, you came back, you'd probably be fine. But instead, you get on social media and you go on with your life and things turn positive and happy and that's okay. And what are other young people hearing? All the venting. And they think this is nothing but trouble. And so my plea to young families is quit the excessive venting online and add some of the positive things without being phony, okay? Then bring in grandparents. And I'm gonna tell you something really odd. People ask me, what was it like raising eight children? I can remember going to a restaurant and people from the restaurant <laughs> came out <laughs> to watch, see what kind of vehicle we went in. There was 10 of us all together between Karen and I and eight children and all this. And yeah, there was a lot of sacrifices. And I look at my children's families and how busy they are and how demanding it is on the young mothers and, and fathers and the financial challenges and all of that. And yet I I, I tell you, it's like I honestly sense that... Um, I've had a frontal lobotomy. I cannot even consciously recall unless somebody very specifically reminds me of an event or something. All I have is that 
it it was a, a challenge that I enjoyed to the top of the highest mountain on earth and great satisfaction as a grandfather. And the only time I, I try to con- remember all of the hard times is the um, looking my adult children. Yeah, they're going through hard times. But, uh, you know, the satisfaction will come. It's like, you know, you work really hard in academics and you you get a degree, you work on a project, really sweat it out, and you accomplishment, and it's an accomplishment uh, in athletics, military service, uh, putting something together with technology, uh, an art project, anything like that you, you try to do, and you really have to put yourself out. The reward comes, and honestly, for at least for me as a grandparent, and other grandparents may feel differently, it's like the positive of the things that I'm living with today. Young people need to hear that. And I will say, too, as an evangelical pastor in Southwest Florida, I talked to a lot of people on the last phase of their life. And I can remember one gentleman joined my congregation and he goes, I want to tell you about my life. And he was a huge bigwig in General Electric, which is a big deal. And that took probably less than four minutes. And then I don't know how long I was there, but let me tell you about my children and grandchildren. That meant everything and time perspective. So have a young couple with a little girl like that little Stephanie that could say, daddy and cookie, um, very pro-life, pro-family, and then a positive grandparent and bring them in to a pre-Cana class. Okay. And then the last thing, and you may want to, this is an approach and some people have hammered me for, um, suggesting this. You, know, you need to tell people they need to have eight kids like you or six kids or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, do you want to put people in shock? You know, how about one at a time? I mean, uh, unless you have twins, but I mean, one at a time. That's how God does things, you know, and putting the burden on people's backs. I think that's uh, what the Pharisees did. And there's plenty of Pharisees around in the modern world. They don't call them that. They don't see themselves as that. This is a whole different approach to lighten the load. And it has to do with the very heart of the new covenant that Jesus Christ came to establish. And what I'm talking about is something that's just developed in conference talks that I did over the years, but it has to do with what I call the 60-second prayer, and it's based on the heart of the new covenant. And the old covenant, says in the prophet Jeremiah, as well as Ezekiel, we had a problem. Our hearts were hearts of stone, and they weren't penetrated by God's law, and they weren't motivated to do God's law. But in the new covenant, Jeremiah says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them, not on a stone outside them. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So there's the internal motivation. And then you go to the New Testament. How did Jesus teach us to pray? To ask God the Father, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, the 60-second prayer is simply saying, in me as in heaven, do your will be done in me as in heaven. 
And then St. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, God is working within his children to desire and to do his will. God is willing to work within you. And so here's an example. You don't have to use these exact words, but here's an example of the 60-second prayer for couples in a pre-Cana class, uh, for couples of childbearing age. It can go like this. Dear Lord, we believe that you are the gracious God who works within us both to will and to do your good pleasure. We come before you and ask you to place your will for us within our hearts. If you would like us to have one more child, then we ask you to place that desire within our hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, one snowy day, I was sitting in the Denver airport and I was trying to get to Kansas. I think it was Kansas where I was going and everything was being snowed out. And the announcement came over that um, the flight was overbooked because of all the canceled flights and everything else. And they were going to have to eliminate people from the flight. And I was um, sitting next to a couple, obviously very well-to-do, kind of like dress Saks Fifth Avenue type of thing and such. And uh, after the announcement came over, um, they started asking me, um, well, what are you doing when you go to Kansas? And I said, well, I'm going to do a, a conference for Catholic fathers. And they said, um, well, what do you do? Uh, what do you say at those things? And I told them, uh, trying to promote a Catholic vision of family life for these Catholic dads. And then the man said, well, I am the head of a large law firm in this city in Kansas where you're going. I have a lot of Catholic lawyers under me, and they all went to your conference a year ago. Every single one of them and you know, in their families are expecting. And they said, um, when this flight's called, we want you to take our seats. These were Protestants recognizing that pro-life is something worthwhile to sacrifice for. Let's keep that in our minds as we develop our pre-Cana classes. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 404 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.